The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. For those of you who are visiting, we are going through uh, the Gospel of Luke. We're not doing Luke verse by verse. Nothing wrong with that. We're not doing that right now. What we're doing is we're going through and we're looking at all the personal encounters between Jesus and individuals. So wherever Jesus has a one-on-one FaceTime with somebody, we are looking at who Jesus is in that moment and what it tells us about Jesus. And um, so we are now at Luke 17. I think we're about 10, 10 or 12 episodes in. It's been really exciting to see who God is through Jesus and all these personal encounters. And so here we are again. We're picking up uh, Luke 17. So what I'm going to do, excuse me, is I'm going to read our, our passage. And then we're going to pray because we need God's help. I need God's help to understand this. And then we are going to start looking at this together. Does that sound good? Everybody's thumbs up. We're going to just... Uh, see, we're already starting out on a great foot. <laughs> This is really, here's what we're going to do. Every time that something happens where it's just kind of like, Jacob, that does not make sense, you just got to raise your hand and say, Jacob, it uh, doesn't make sense. I'm just going to say, sorry, that's the limes speaking right now. We can blame it on ticks. And um, so uh, verse, uh, chapter 17, verse 11. All right? Good? <laughs> did you know that I did the slides for this as well? So... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the lines did it, right. <laughs> I have 11 through 19 on my page here, but um, obviously it's lost in translation. Yeah, yeah, it's right next to nine. So <laughs> we're pretty loose around here, guys. So if you're looking for like something ultra formal, this might not be your thing. Um, <laughs> so, all right, verse 11 through 19. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. This is Jesus passing along Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he, now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, were there not, were not ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was not one found to return to give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith, your faith has made you well. Father, we ask that you would help us. We ask that you would open your word to us. We ask that you would reveal more of Jesus to us because we want to know him, because we want to love him, because we want to experience the presence of your spirit with us as we look at your word. And it's in Jesus' name that we ask these things. Amen. So we have been going through all of these stories between Jesus and the individuals, and we're beginning to kind of see some repetition. Um, The repetition we're seeing here is that we are seeing uh, a leper, and uh, if you haven't been with us before, 
here's the deal. Lepers were kind of like walking zombies at the time. They had um, this condition. I'm not really sure what it was. It was a varying ray of like basically they were getting eaten alive from the outside in. They were if they had leprosy, they were um, ostracized. They lost everything. They couldn't touch anybody ever again. They had to go live off in a colony um, all by themselves. Well, I mean effectively by themselves. And so here again, we run into these lepers who are outside of town. And um, here again, we're running into some, some basic things where Jesus is uh, doing the same sort of things. He sees somebody, has compassion on them, wants to help them, and things change in their lives. And so we're beginning to see, like, Jesus has this regular pattern of seeing people, loving them, and changing them. Like, that's how he operates. He sees people, he knows who they are, he loves them, and he changes them. And... Um, but it's the details now. We're beginning to see the details of how all these interactions are drawing our eyes to see the details of what's going on in this passage that's different than the ones before. Um, and here's the thing. I'm just going to kind of let the cat out of the bag. This passage is about gratitude. <laughs> like, we're seeing how gratitude is at the focus of this passage. Uh, I don't know if you're supposed to do this. Uh, in your seminary classes with, about preaching, but I'm just going to tell you, it's about gratitude. Because you see how Jesus is like, listen, everybody, I healed all ten. I didn't miss one. Why are there only nine? Why is there only one coming back? Everybody should be grateful that they just got healed. <laughs> so I'm saying, I think this passage is about gratitude. And um, I don't know if that seems apparent to you, but it seems apparent to me that that's what's going on here. And I think... Um, the question that we're supposed to ask from, from just kind of seeing the small interaction with Jesus being amazed at this man's gratitude when there should have been 10 who are grateful um, is how do we cultivate a grateful heart? How do we cultivate gratitude when Jesus sees us and changes us? So when we're here to see Jesus, we want to see Jesus, we want to be grateful for Jesus. How do we cultivate a grateful heart in response to Jesus because we know that he's seeing us now. Um, he's here with us. We want to be grateful for him. We want to be grateful to him. And so we want to, we are being asked by this passage, are you grateful? And so what we're going to do is we're just going to walk through this passage together a um, little bit at a time. And uh, we're just going to be asking, what are the components of gratitude that God is offering us in this passage? Because I think there's, there's three things that we're going to be seeing. We're going to be seeing... The first thing we're going to look at, we're just going to pick up in verse 12. So if you'll look at me with me at verse 12, gratitude needs mercy. So there's going to be three components. First thing it needs, gratitude needs mercy. Again, I, just, I think these things are obvious, but let's pick up in verse 12, and you can tell me if they're not. Verse 12, as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And when they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving, thank, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, We're not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was not one found to return to give praise to God except this foreigner? So you see, here's here's going on. They, the situation is Jesus is walking into town. Like usual, he's got a posse around him. He's walking into town, 
And here are these lepers who are standing far off. Now, the interesting thing is that they were standing far off because they could not contaminate anybody with their condition. They did not want to get anybody else contaminated, but they had clearly heard about Jesus. They had heard about who he was, what he was doing, what was going on. And so they come up, and they are in desperate need. Jesus, master, they know that he has at least the mastery of power to heal them. Jesus, master, have, have mercy. Have mercy on us. And in response, Jesus says, go and present yourself to the priest, which seems a bit, I mean, it seems a bit odd, right? I mean, it's like, have mercy on us. And you would think, he would say, got it, you're good to go. But no, he, he's like, okay, go show yourself to the priest. So th- what's going on is basically Jesus saying, um, the, what you do in response to being healed of leprosy is you go and show yourself to the priest. So here's the deal. You want to be healed, go and show yourself and you and you'll be healed along the way. It's his answer is presuming that they'll be healed, right? So he's saying, you want to be healed, already done, go show yourself to the priest. Um, and so they have to go and walk away. So they're far off. They're told to go walk away. And then this one sees that he is healed. And you can imagine the situation. This man is walking away. Okay, Jesus has just told me this weird answer. Go and show myself to the priest, walking away. And then, I don't know how it happens, but he looks down. And he sees these hands that were once marked by this, de- this defiling condition, this situation that's like eating away at his skin. He looks down and sees that they are suddenly clean. They're suddenly healed. They're suddenly made right and whole. And here he is walking away from the very man who's just, just, who has just healed him. And so he runs back to Jesus. And where he was once far off, away from Jesus, begging for his mercy... He is now at the feet of Jesus. So he comes back to the feet of Jesus and thanking and praising God. Thank you for what you have done for me. Thank you for how you have saved me, healed me, cleansed me. He was once far off from Jesus. He was once far off. You see in the story, far off. And now, now he is brought near. And if that's not enough, Luke emphasizes this again because in verse 16, he says that he, he emphasizes it there at the end of the, the, the verse. Now, he was a Samaritan. And then Jesus goes on to say, look, who is this dude who's a foreigner? Like, why is he the one who responds? Like, he's a, and he uses the word foreigner. So at the time, uh, the Jewish temple, they would have had the Holy of Holies where, like, the ultra, ultra holy people went and worshipped and then kind of, like, the place around it. So, like, tier two. So, like, they had, like, the box seats, right? And then they got, like, the, like the, the regular people who sit in the regular section of the, of the bleachers um, as the regular Jews. And then they had the nosebleed section for all the Samaritans and foreigners. And they all had to buy, like, the $10 ticket to go sit way up in the, in the top. So the word that he uses there, foreigners, is for, like, the nosebleed section people. So he's using, like, these are the people who should not even be close to God, who should not even be in the temple worshiping. Who is this foreigner who's now been brought near to me who is worshiping at my feet. So that the, it is clear that, that Luke is trying to draw our attention. This guy does not belong near God, yet here he is by Jesus' saving power brought near to God, to the very feet of Jesus, worshiping at his feet. He is drawing our attention, and I think maybe in the, in the sense of why they draw the attention of the Samaritans, potentially, uh, these were 10... Ten dudes, one of them was a Samaritan. The other nine probably were Jews who should have responded to Jesus. So here's the guy who's like the odd cat out who shouldn't have been responding. Is the only one 
and his nine Jewish friends who should have been responding don't respond. And he's the one who's brought near. Here's the one, he's the one who's brought in to Jesus. And I think what we're seeing here is that mercy is equal opportunity. Everybody gets it. Everybody is invited to respond. Everybody receives mercy. If you are in the church, if you are in these seats, if you are here, you are somebody that has received God's mercy today. You are, you are somebody who's continuing in need of mercy. You, like me, are somebody that is only defined by mercy. The only people who get in to be Christians are the people who are desperately in need of mercy. There's nobody who kind of gets a pass with mercy. We are all like this leper, if not physically, spiritually, we are all people that should not be near Jesus. We are all people that are defiled. We are all people who have problems. We all have baggage that we bring to the table. We are all people that need mercy. God has given us mercy freely. He has given us mercy to bring us near to himself. And we are all invited to be near him. And so the mercy that we see in this man is a mercy that responds to, gra- that, re- that leads to gratitude. This man, this man gets it. He gets what's going on. He gets that Jesus has shown him mercy in a way that nobody else has, and he responds in gratitude. One of the fundamental components of gratitude is mercy. If you were to make a, a if you make a gratitude cake, you would need mercy as like your flour. Like it's like a main component to the mercy, to the component to your gratitude cake. And this is like, so the trajectory here, the, the main thing going on is that um, Jesus has shown this man mercy and he gets it where the other guys don't. They still receive mercy, but they don't get it. They don't respond. They don't understand. But he gets it and he responds in gratitude to Jesus. He responds to the mercy that he has received. And this is just kind of, this is common in scripture. This is common all over. God acts, we respond in gratitude. And we see it in Colossians as well. I'm just going to kind of lay a couple passages here if um, next to this. Colossians actually has a lot to say about thanks, being grateful and, and thankful. Um, and which is why I guess my mind turned there. I'm not sure. Um, this is a lime if it's a problem for you. <laughs> We're just going to throw this in the lime category maybe. Colossians 1.3, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and we pray for you. So here is Paul. We could say something about prayer here. We're not going to talk about prayer. But here he is saying, we are thankful to God the Father through Jesus. Why? Like, why is he thankful to the Father? Why? How does, how does the Father make him, how does the Father come into the picture? So Colossians 1.12, give thanks to the Father. So here he is saying the same thing, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. Now, kind of all the religious language aside, what he is saying is that God the Father has qualified him. He has qualified you. He has changed you. He has shown you mercy. You who had nothing to bring yourself before the Father, nothing to commend yourself to God, he has shown mercy. He has qualified. He has given mercy that you might be thankful to God for being a son and daughter of the living God. He has now brought us near. See, this is, we are brought near to God by his mercy, which produces gratitude. He has brought us near into his family that we who were people who were once far off, just like this leper, calling out, God, help me, 
we are now brought near, and he has given us mercy to make us a part of his family. And what's interesting, I, the image that kind of comes to mind with this is um, we are all people that need mercy, whether we, even in the moment where we are not aware that we need it. Like when we don't realize that we need mercy, we often re- that's often when we need it. And, um, and the, the story that comes to mind, or the image that comes to mind, is you can imagine um, two, two armies fighting against each other, maybe World War II or something like that. You have two armies fighting against each other, and one just totally pummels the other. They totally just destroy the, the other army. And as the general's walking into their main town, they are still the, the, they are unaware that they have lost the war. They are turning out weapons. They are turning out ammunition to fight this war that they've already lost. And the general walks in. He comes into the ammunition factory. Imagine a factory where they're producing guns and ammunition. And he walks in, and here is a technician in this armory making weapons to fight the very general that's walked in making the weapons he is, putting them together, and here the general walks up next to him. You can imagine, rests his hand on his shoulder, puts his hand over the technician's work, and turns his face towards him. You see, here is this moment where he has shown, he has shown mercy to this technician, making weapons to fight him, making weapons to fight the very general that's right there. He is he is bringing his mercy in. He is coming near, and you would expect the general to want to destroy this, this man. But if we were to kind of put this in a picture of who God is, God, in the midst of our rebellion against him, in the midst of all of our offense against him, in the midst of our desire to make war against God, he comes in and very gently comes alongside us to give us mercy and doesn't give us what we deserve. He comes in and says... You are not mine. You are now a part of my family. You are brought near to me. I, I'm here to change who you are. We are, all, we are all trying to fight against God. We are all trying to oppose him. But we get the mercy that we don't deserve. And I don't know how, I don't know if this is, any, is this making any sense? Anybody, yes, no, good, everybody's on board. Sorry, I'm kind of like making sure I've, we're all on board. But I think that what we often think is that um, we have to kind of like work ourselves up to deserve to be grateful. Like we somehow have to kind of like prove that um, I've done enough things that I'm really grateful. Like I've, I've worked hard enough. I'm really grateful for the job I have or the family that I enjoy or the job that I'm going to be getting or, um, or maybe you, the negative side of it. You don't feel like you've done enough to be grateful. Like, I don't deserve to be grateful for anything, really. Um, I don't know what your week has been like. I don't know what you've done. I know that I don't deserve to be grateful. I don't deserve to be enjoying God's mercy to me. That's what we mean by grateful, just enjoying what God's given you. But um, if what Jesus is doing here with this man is giving him mercy that he does not deserve, and then the man's first response is to, to respond in gratitude. What we're seeing here is that you don't have to work yourself up to be grateful. Like, you don't have to prove that you deserve to be grateful. The response to grace is to 
but praise God and enjoy his mercy. You don't have to do anything else to deserve it. Like you don't have to do anything else to get, get him on your side. The way we respond to free grace is just to enjoy it. Like, yeah, you have screwed up this week. I have screwed up this week. We do not deserve to be grateful. But God and his mercy has brought us near, and we respond just by being so, like, God, you have, you have saved us. You have brought us near. You have been kind to us when we don't deserve it. I think that Christians should, whether they are in the midst of horrible sin and suffering or whatever else is going on in their lives, we are invited to enjoy his mercy to us. He has a constant hand of mercy towards us. Which leads us to ask the question, what exactly is the language? If we are to thank him, what exactly are we supposed to say? So, let's look at the second thing here. Gratitude needs words. So we're just going to pick back up in verse 15. We're going to kind of zero in. We've been looking at this passage broadly. We're going to look at verse 15 and 16. Here this man, this leper who was once ostracized and very far away, is brought near to God, near to Jesus. And what does he, what does he say? Verse 15. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell at his face at Jesus' feet, giving thanks to him. So here he is. This is, again, we're seeing in, in the gospel where people respond to God's power, and they praise God, and they do it at the feet of Jesus, and Jesus does not correct them. This, again, Jesus is the Son of God in the flesh. He has taken on flesh, and here he is responding to Jesus, and his gratitude is taking on words of thanksgiving. And I think one of the things we're seeing here with gratitude is that while the ten all received mercy, they did not all respond the same way. The nine, I think they were grateful. I want to say they were probably grateful. Like, they were probably like, hey, look, this is great. Like, we have now been, we're now healed. Like, this condition that's afflicted us, we're now healed. But this man, he responds differently. And I think what we're seeing here is that it's one thing to receive the benefits of God's mercy. But it's another thing to respond to receive God himself. Like, the other nine, they received the benefits. Like, they got healed. Like, that's great. We want people healed. But that's kind of like a side issue to getting God himself. Like they, they did not get the connection that, oh, Jesus is the one who healed us. We should probably go back. It is great that we're healed, but we should probably go back to Jesus himself. But here this one man responds and says, gratitude leads me to want not just the benefits of what Jesus can do for me, but for Jesus himself. They want, he wants Jesus himself. And so his words of thanksgiving, his words of gratitude are focused on Jesus. They are focused around him. They are led. He is led not merely just like worship, like, hey, Jesus is great. Thanks. His words are led. I want you, Jesus. I want you. I want more of you. I want Jesus he goes to his feet. This man wants more of Christ himself. And I think this is a pattern that, again, we see in Scripture where we are called to sing and praise and thank Jesus himself. We are called to be fo- Jesus-focused. So, again, I'm just going to lift up Colossians. Just a, verse, a few verses out of Colossians. I hope you guys are tracking with me. We're going to go verse chapter 3 in Colossians, verse 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, 
to which indeed you are called in one body. Remember, this is the, when you are called into Christ, when you respond to Christ, when you love Christ, this is the mercy we were just talking about. And the response, and be thankful. Grace leads immediately to gratitude. We are responding to this mercy that we've received in Jesus to be grateful for who he is and what he's done for us. But the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So here we have again, we have received mercy. We have received what we do not deserve. And we, we we respond with loving God's word, singing God's word, treasuring God's word, treasuring the God of the word in thankfulness, singing songs to Jesus. And then he goes on, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to the Father through him. So you see, the, the, the mercy we received, it is calling us to be thankful, to respond, to enjoy God himself, to treasure him and know him. The pattern is grace produces thankfulness in our hearts. It produces thankfulness in our words. We respond when God, when God acts, that's his grace in our lives, when God acts, we respond in praising him and loving him and treasuring him. We want to know more of him. We want to treasure him and, and delight in him and sing about what he's done. We want to sing about what he's done in, a, in us. We want to sing about what he's done in Christ. So just a few ideas. The first is, if you, wonder, if you ever wonder why we sing in church, this is why we sing. And just note to the New Englanders, we are called to sing loudly, I would say. <laughs> And maybe not as loud as I sing. I recognize that I sing potentially louder than most people sing. And I occasionally am in a pain in the neck to our worship leaders because I sing right in their face. And I'm incredibly loud. And I potentially, at times, divert songs with the wrong tune. (laughs) So I am sorry for how that happens. But you are called to sing loudly because God has so graciously and loudly saved you in Jesus. In front of the whole world, he has saved you by the death of Christ. Another way we respond is we thank God personally. I mean, I just, I don't know if you do this. As I was preparing this, I was thinking, you know what? I don't know how often I just kind of make a list. God, thank you for this in my life. Thank you for this. Thank you for this. And I don't know, but it's just an idea. Making a list of, and let me just talk, talk us through. Making a list of all the things that, that are going, in your, going on in your life, both the good. God, thank you for my friends. Thank you for the air I'm breathing. Thank you for the day that we've enjoyed. Thank you for how you have saved me. Thank you for, um, you know, being in church today. I don't know if you're grateful for that or not, but maybe you should be. Um, Or, you know, even to the extent of, and we can talk through this if this is difficult, but all the difficulties in your life, all the things that are difficult and painful, there is a way, I think, to be grateful for how those things drive you to need God, drive you to find his power. So listing those things out and saying, God, thank you. We see that over and over again in the Psalms specifically. God, I don't understand what is going on, but I'm going to thank you for your continual love to me. I'm going to thank you for your continual mercy to me. But I think it's a call to be grateful. This man, he's responding specifically to something that God has specifically done. And he is specifically grateful. We should be specifically grateful for what God has done in our lives, how he has shaped us and changed us in Jesus. And then I just, just to hold this out, 
I just want us to be people that are defined by being grateful to each other. Do you, do you ever do you thank the people around you? Uh, thank you, ladies, for making the food. Like, good gracious. Like, this is great food. Thank you. Thank you, Drew, for how you lay your life down, for setting up the sound system. Thank you guys for how you lead and care for each other, specifically thanking each other by name with specificity, I think is an evidence of God's grace in our lives. So, is everybody with me? We're all hanging in there together. Okay, we're going to look at the last thing. And this might potentially sound a bit odd, but we want to know, where did all this grace and mercy that we are being called to respond in gratitude to, where did all this, where did it all come from? Why do we have it? So we're going to look at the third thing here. Gratitude needs a cross. So look with me at verse, uh, chapter 17, verse 11. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. Now, maybe you were thinking, this is the weirdest verse I've ever heard a preacher get a point from. This is not Jesus' GPS system telling him what to do. Like, this is not just kind of like the directions of what to do next. Um, this is not just kind of like a placeholder. This is actually a very intentionally crafted, intentionally worded sentence for us to see that Jesus has a purpose behind this moment that we've been talking about with this leper. So let me just show you real quick. I don't know. Do we have a map? Boom. There we go. Can you guys see that? I pulled this from the ESV study Bible. It is great. But so here is what's going on. So you have, I'm just going to get up here. We're not going to set off the sound system or anything. So here Jesus is doing this track down to Jerusalem. And if Jerusalem is his goal, like, it's kind of like saying, I'm going to go to Boston by way of Worcester. Like, it is like way out of his way right now to be going to Samaria. Like, he is going way out of his way to get to Jerusalem. So he is not only intentionally going to meet this man, but the more important factor is that he is going to Jerusalem. Back in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. There is an intentional focus in Jesus' life at this moment in the gospel. He knows that if he is to truly show grace and mercy, he must go to Jerusalem. And, as he is saying here, to be taken up. And this is not just taken up like the resurrection. This is the, he is specifically talking about being taken up onto the cross. He is specifically focusing in and intentionally walking towards Jerusalem at this point, he is saying, I must go to Jerusalem to die. Verse thir chapter 13, verse 22, he went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. He is, at this point, his face is set on the cross. He is set to go to the place where he will die. He is going on this journey by way, you know, to Boston by way of Worcester, to Jerusalem by way of this way out of the way place because he is drawing our attention to see that gratitude is only going to be birthed and purchased by his death on the cross. He must go to Jerusalem because grace, Jesus' grace, has its source in the cross where he will die in our place, where he will walk up the hill 
to be alienated from God, to be alienated from all of humanity, to be alienated on our behalf, where he will walk up and be bearing the very wrath of God in our place, where he will go and be ostracized, just like this leper should be, just like we should be, where we should be pushed away and be set aside. He will go and be treated like that in our place. He is going towards Jerusalem so that he will die. And the only way to bring us near to God is by his very death in our place, where he who was the son of God who lived in eternal and perfect love with the Father for all eternity, he will be, he will be cut off, he will be cut down, he will be destroyed and bear the full wrath of God. He knows that as he sets his face towards Jerusalem, all of these desires that he has to show true mercy to this man, to show you mercy, to give you grace, they will only be birthed as he gives out his last breath. Grace will only be born in the dying breath of Christ on the cross. Gratitude, gratitude is born, gratitude is sustained, gratitude is unending when we see that at its source, at the, at the grace that we need, the source of the grace that we enjoy is at the cross of Christ where his unmerited grace dies for us on the cross so that we would enjoy him. It is at the cross that we see the full picture of who God's mercy is, what God's mercy is for us in Christ dying in your place so that you would be brought near, so that you would enjoy the goodness and nearness of God. And it is of the cross that we will, we will look at the cross forever and ever in glory and wonder because that is what we will sing about in heaven. We will treasure in heaven. We will sing about the glory of God revealed in the cross of Christ forever, forever and ever. We will wonder at what God has done and we will think in total gratitude. He had, he had no reason to be on the cross for us. He had no reason to die in our place other than that he has eternal an unending and undying love for you, unending mercy for you, so that our words would be defined by the cross, our gratitude would be defined by the cross, our mercy that we receive and enjoy would be defined by the cross. There is an eternal gratitude, an unending gratitude that we enjoy to, for Christ because he set his face towards Jerusalem to die on the cross. It is at the cross that grace produces gratitude in us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have saved us in Christ. We thank you that you have given us mercy in Christ. We ask that you would fill our words as we treasure and love you more because of Jesus. It is in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.